I'm going to switch horses right here, okay? Ready? There we go. Um, how many of you have been reading Genesis along with us? How many of you have come up with some questions for me? Nobody? I got to ask one on the way in here, one this week, and um, got emailed a few. That's good. I hope that I make you think I don't know what I'm talking about, so you go look it up yourself. There we go. But tonight we're in Genesis 8, and so if you have your Bibles, turn to Genesis chapter 8 with me. How many of you believe that you have in your hand the Word of God? It is the Word of the living God. And I am continuously amazed that Moses wrote this while in the wilderness. Moses was moved on by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says all Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. It's profitable. And all of it came from God. There is Moses in the wilderness carrying over a million people from um, Egypt to the Promised Land. And God moves on him by the Spirit to pen what we call the what? Pen to Tuk. The five books of Moses. And the book of Genesis, y'all, I got to tell you, just studying for, for this series, it's just a mind blower to me that this man Moses was moved on by the Holy Ghost to write these things. And when he wrote them, let's remember when he wrote in the beginning, God, those were the first words to the Bible. He had no Bible. Can it be a, just a little bit of a mind blower to you tonight that Abraham had no Bible, Isaac had no Bible, Jacob had no Bible, Adam had no Bible, Eve, none of those ancient patriarchs. Are you ready? Noah had no Bible. He had no scripture he could look to and find some kind of a confirmation that he was hearing God. Isn't it astounding that somebody like Noah, who we're on tonight, could receive this word from God that God was going to destroy the whole world, everything in it, and he was to build a huge three-story boat inland, way inland, and water had never come from the sky. Mist had risen from the ground, and for 120 years he hammered away in faith without one convert and preached righteousness that whole time. Now, i got to tell you, if I don't see somebody come to the Lord at least a few times a month, it starts affecting me. If I preached for 120 years and saw nobody, I'd hang it up and go sell shoes. <laughs> he didn't have one convert, not one. Isn't it amazing, these people... And for over 120 years, with every blow of the hammer, he condemned his generation and sealed his own fate in faith. And when the day came to enter that ark, he entered it. We talked about this last week. God finally said to Noah, the time has come. The ark was finished, three stories, the size, really the, the, the size basically close to a, of a Walmart. God supernaturally called, caused two of every creature. Now, some of you have pointed out to me, and, I, and you're right, seven of the clean, seven of the clean, uh, uh, like doves and sheep and lamb, and I think that's because, uh, that is seven pairs of sheep, lamb, doves, and so on and so forth. I think that's because of God wanted to be sure that the ability to make a sacrifice was not lost, 
if only one pair were to perish. So of the clean animals, there were seven pairs. And God supernaturally drew these animals, birds, reptiles, snails, everything. Now you say, Pastor Jeff, do you really believe that? Do you really? Well, I want you to look at your neighbor and say, well, he drew you. You ready? There is more hope of God drawing a lion into the ark than you into a place of righteousness and me. Because they weren't falling into sin, and we were. And yet God drew you. How'd you end up in church on a Wednesday night? Where were you 10 years ago? 20 years ago? What happened to you? What are you doing in here? A Jesus freak. I'll tell you what happened. God's Spirit invaded your life. God convicted you of your sin. And he supernaturally drew you. And here you are. Here you are. So how did all those animals get there? The Bible tells us God drew them. God drew them. And so Noah goes into the ark. The Bible says the day came when God said, this is it. Once the whole family was in there, and two of every kind and seven pairs of the clean, then it says on the seventh day, God shut the door. God shut the door. I shared it with you last week. I believe God shut the door to deliver Noah from any sense of guilty conscience that he shut the door because I'm going to tell you something, folks. When, that, when the skies began to darken with clouds, that had never happened. That's why the rainbow, the covenant of the rainbow God made in chapter 9 that we're going to see next week, that's why the rainbow was new. Because all a rainbow is is a prismatic effect of millions and millions of water droplets in the sky and light bending through them. Before Noah, that, that wasn't there. So all of a sudden... They're seeing something up there they've never seen. Now remember, the story of Noah that we're about to look at again tonight is a picture, it's a picture of the judgment coming in our day. And I'm going to tell you, I stand more convinced that judgment is coming in our day than I was 20 years ago. Because look at the similarities between Noah and us. Noah began to preach the minute that God dealt with him. God told him what was going to happen. Water is going to fall out of the sky. I am going to deluge the earth. There is going to be a great universal flood and everything is going to die. Water is coming out of the sky. Can you imagine how this man was treated when this had never happened before and he begins to walk out front and people are walking by, kids going to school, everybody going to work, coming back home, just living life. Jesus said marrying, giving in marriage, eating and drinking, just living normal life, ignoring the warnings of God, a laissez-faire attitude towards the warnings of God. And this man, Peter tells us, was a preacher of righteousness. So he began to preach. The end is coming. An end is coming. God has had it with your sin. Either repent or you're going to perish. His message was not very different from a message in the New Covenant dispensation that any evangelist would give. Repent or you're going to perish. And they didn't listen to him. He did it year after year after year after year. Can you imagine 
the mockery they made of this man because not one not one person converted so he was a mockery he was a joke he was he was everybody's joke at every party i think all the teenagers and children made fun of him some even even surmise that as he built the ark he probably hired some outer help what did they think of him hey where are you working well you know times are tough i went to work with old crazy noah Oh, you're helping him build the boat? Yeah, I'm helping him build the boat. You know, I feel sorry for the guy. He thinks water's coming out of the sky. He thinks everybody's going to drown. What happened to him? Too long in the sun. He kept preaching every year. Finally, he goes into the ark. Behind him, God shut it. Now, those people out there that have been out there for 120 years because they lived long in the antediluvian, pre-flood dispensation. They lived centuries. They look up and they see clouds. And as they're looking up, watching this phenomenon, they start getting hit with water. What is this? Now, I'm going to tell you something. I believe panic began to set in because they'd heard him for 120 years with every drop that hit them could he have been right oh my gosh no I think some of them pounded on that ark that's why God told him make it with pitch that soundproofed it I think they began to scream and howl the Bible says now, now, we just saw New Orleans happen. We just saw the water rise to rooftops. But then by the mercy of God, it stopped. Those people on the rooftops, they weren't driven off the rooftops. It stopped there, but not this one. The Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights and that the springs in the earth burst forth. Water was coming from above and from below. And the waters began to rise until there was nowhere to go. Don't you know people climbed trees all the way in the tops of trees trying to escape it, and then the water came above the trees. And then they ran up mountains, and the water rose above the mountain. Mount Everest, there was not a mountain in the world that it did not completely cover. The entire earth was influenced and affected and impacted by this. There was nowhere to go but that ark. Don't you know what it was like for Noah to sit in there and say, I did hear God, I did hear God, I did hear God. And to feel that thing begin to move and creak and sway as the water lifted it up? Don't you know they were having some prayer meetings? Oh, Dad, if ever I was glad you heard God, it's this time. After 120 years of warning and preaching of Noah, the floodgates of heaven were open on the terror-stricken inhabitants of earth. The unrepentant sinners of that day no doubt had time to realize that they had fallen under God's wrath. The scene may have been similar to what is described here in Revelation. Now, what we're about to read is what is coming. Because the story of Noah, Jesus said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. Well, 
John the Revelator, looking down the tunnel of time by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, saw this happening to the world. He said, I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood, and the stars of heaven fell to the earth as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved. Now, catch this. Every mountain, every mountain and island was moved out of its place. And the kings of the earth, the great men, rich men, commanders, the mighty men, the who's who's, the Ted Turners, the well-known rich and famous, all the ones that adorn the covers of our magazines, those people, every slave and every free man hid themselves, hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and rocks, What'd they say, everybody? Let's read it together. Fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. Now stop right there for a minute. Listen to these people on the media today who say, well, Jesus wouldn't hurt anybody. Jesus wouldn't judge anybody. Jesus is the meek and mild, uh, 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 hippie-like figure from the first century who just preached and taught love and peace and can't we all just get along and this kind of thing. No. He came as the Lamb of God. He's coming back as the Lion of Judah. And the day will come when Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is going to judge the world. And it's so fearsome is that judgment going to be that if you're there and you have been unrepentant and you get caught in this hour of wrath, you would rather rocks fall on you in a cave than meet Jesus in his judgment. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who is able to stand? Now, because the judgment's going to be swift, it's going to be unexpected, what are the people going to be doing when Jesus comes back? Eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, laissez-faire attitude towards all the preaching and ministry of the word of God, every one of those crazy right-wing fundamentalists crackpot preachers who stood and said that the judgment of God was going to fall on a sinful generation, but that's just Old Testament, and that's just a bunch of hooey, and that's right-wing extremism and narrow-mindedness and so on and so forth, and they poo-poo it and make fun of it and mock it and ridicule it, just like they did Noah. Jesus said it'll be just like they did Noah. And then all of a sudden, there's going to be a judgment, and there'll be no escaping the wrath of the Lamb. No escaping the wrath of the Lamb. Everybody in Noah's day perished, and everybody who experiences the wrath of the Lamb will perish. That's the teaching of the Bible. So here's Noah. He's in the boat. He's in the ark. Noah and his family were safe within the ark. That ark is clearly a picture of Jesus Christ. There is no question in my mind that God orchestrated things that way once again the ark is what we call a type or a shadow of things to come the only safe place was that ark 
You didn't have five arcs to choose from. There wasn't any choice. Hey, guess what, everybody? God doesn't give a bunch of options. He is a one-way God. There wasn't the ark down here and the ark over there, and, and which ark do you really want today? Uh-uh. There was one ark, and that ark was put on earth to save from the judgment of God. And if you accepted the message of God and repented, you would have gone. Anybody who repented in Noah's day would have gone into that ark. The ark was the only safe place. It was the only safe place of refuge on the entire planet Earth. There was nowhere else to go but the ark. When you were in that ark, you were safe. When that door was shut by God, God will do the same thing when the ark, Jesus Christ, the ark of the New Covenant, returns to earth to take his bride to heaven, take the church to heaven. It says God will shut the door. God will shut the door. We don't shut it, he shuts it. And while judgment falls, we're safe in the ark. Thank God for the ark of the New Covenant. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And there's only one. And there's not another name given among men whereby we might be saved. Buddha won't save you. Confucius won't save you. Muhammad won't save you. Can I say it again? Muhammad won't save you. Muhammad never said he would. Jesus alone died for our sin, rose from the dead, and became the ark. When we received the gospel, we got in the ark. Praise God. Scripture says that it rained 40 days and 40 nights. Let's just look at that right here. Genesis 7, 4, for after seven days, God had already told Noah, after seven more days, I'm going to cause it to rain on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. And then the rain fell, as we've already described. Now, three things took place after 40 days and nights that stopped the waters from rising. And they're found here in chapter 8, verse 1. It says, after 40 days of constant deluge, it says God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. Then the fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven were also stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. You know, when I read that word restrain, I'm so thankful that every one of these things has a, has a um, safety latch on it. God only lets judgment go so far, and then he stops it. And God restrained it. God restrained it. So say with me, a wind, the fountains of the deep, and the rain from heaven were restrained, and then the waters began to subside. Now, the Bible says that after those waters had begun to ebb for 16 days, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. Now, the, the Bible tells us there was a window in that ark. I'm going to tell you, I know me. I'd have lived in that window. I'd have lived looking out that window. There was a window in that ark. And after 16 days of the water ebbing, after God had stopped it, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. Can you imagine being in that ark? You've been floating. The whole world has perished. And all of a sudden, you feel, oh, whoa. And you look out the window. And things are going by, but you can tell you're stationary. You know, that would have blessed me. I don't like to fly. Kathy doesn't like it in boats. We just like sitting at home. I, 
I just, you know, I like feeling like I'm in control. And do you know how this man of faith, Noah, had to trust God? Had to trust God? Now let me tell you what I think would have played on any normal person's mind. Here I am, the whole world has been destroyed. I'm in a boat that I built. I'm out here floating. How long is he going to leave me here? What if he leaves me here a year? What if I'm here two years? I mean, I like being safe, but these animals and the smell? After 16 days, the ark rested on Mount Ararat. After 60 days of the water ebbing, the tops of mountains appeared above the water like islands out that window. He looks out that window and he sees tops of mountains, just like islands. He says, praise God. Now, where are we floating? We're as high as the mountain. The water covered the earth. Look what it says, verse 5. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. Wow, just think about that for a minute. Let your sanctified imagination just think about that for a minute. You've been out there two months floating while the, the waters ebb. You know that everything is dead. Now you're seeing just the tops of mountains and all that's left on the whole planet is you and Ham and Shem and Japheth and their wives and your wife. Now that family better get along. <laughs> we can't have family conflicts here because we're all that's left. We got to get along. I love you, you love me. The Bible says that after 40 days of ebbing, after 40 days, it was 20 days before the tops of mountains were seen, Noah sent out his spies. He sent out a raven first and a dove to bring back information. He took that raven first. Let's just read it here. So it came to pass at the end of 40 days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. He grabbed one of the ravens. He sent that raven out, which kept going to and fro. The Hebrew actually reads back and forth, back and forth. He went out into that water-drenched world, and then he would come back to the ark, and back and forth, and back and forth. And then it says, until the waters had dried up from the earth. Then he also sent out from himself a dove to see if the waters had receded from the face of the ground. Now the raven has been compared to the flesh, in that it fed on the carcasses floating in the water. Ravens will do that. It returned to the ark, but it's very, very different from the dove. There's a picture here. It returned to the ark, but it was not drawn in. It says when the dove came back, Noah reached his arm out, and the dove was brought back into the ark, but that didn't happen to the raven. It returned to the ark, but it was not drawn in as Noah brought the dove in. It was on the ark, but not in it. Now, I'm going to say that again, because I know people that way. It was on the ark, but not in it. Do you know, folks, that Billy Graham has said that the biggest harvest field in the world is the church? Because you know what you got? You got a bunch of people who have never been born again. They've never really been saved, and they hang around the ark. 
They like the religion. They like the pomp. They like the ritual. They like, they like it for many different reasons. But they've never really been saved. And they're like this raven. They live on the things of the world, and they get in close proximity to the ark, but they're not ever really brought in by the hand of Jesus because they really don't repent. How many of you know a few ravens? Don't look next to you, just look at me. <laughs> I'm going to tell you, I've never ceased to be amazed. Kathy and I, we got invited to uh, Houston once to preach at a Bible church. It's just a Bible church. And so, uh, you know, I said, well, sure, I'll come. And it was in, uh, actually, what was the name of the, the area of Houston? Woodlands. Very uppity area. Very uppity. Yeah, a lot of money. And so I'll never forget, the preacher called me. One of the preachers, there was three of them. One of them called me before we actually left uh, the Dallas-Fort Worth area and started heading there. He says, listen, um, how are you going to handle the service? And I could hear nervousness. And I wanted to tell him, well, I'm going to jump up and scream and run around the sanctuary, and if you've got a chandelier, I'm swinging on it. <laughs> but I didn't. He said... I said, well, what I usually do is I'll, I'll minister a message from the Word, and then I want to give an altar call. And there was no sound. And then he comes back and says, altar call. Now, tell me what you mean by that. I said, well, do you have an altar? Maybe you don't even know you got one. I said, I'm going to invite people to come down for prayer. Now, he didn't know any better. I'm really not making fun of him. If you don't know, you don't know. And so I said, I'm going to invite people to come down for prayer, and I'm going to invite people to be saved. He said, saved? Everybody in our church is saved at the church. I said, well, you know, I have found that to not be true. I have found that a lot of people in churches aren't saved. They're, they're ravens. They'll go out there and feed on the carcasses of the world, feed on what's in the world, and they get in proximity to the ark, but they're really never brought in. They're ravens. But I didn't call his people ravens. I just said, well, you know, if I can't get an altar call, I don't think that I can come. He said, well, you know, maybe we just better do this another time. I said, sure. And I hung up. Well, the way we got invited was I was good friends with somebody in that church who was a big tither. And he called me and said, hey, what do you mean? You're not coming. I said, hey, he won't let me give an altar call. He said, I'll call you right back. Well, he made a call, and it made possible me giving an altar call. So this preacher said, well, maybe we can work it out. Now, how are you going to do this? I'll never forget, I got there, and me and Kathy, we sat on the front row, and, and when we drove up, it was just nothing but Mercedes, Jags. I mean, it was just very lucrative area, about 800 people out there. And I had a message. I had a message out of the Old Testament on... As a matter of fact, I preached it here a few weeks ago, a part of it, on shields of brass in the house of God, and phony versus real, and that's just something God put on my heart to preach. There wasn't, I didn't know anything about these people. So I'll never forget this guy introducing me. He was petrified. And so the, the enemy jumped on my shoulder and said, hey, you better cool it today, because these people are all educated and dignified, and if you act yourself, you're going to scare them. And God said to me, you be you and I'll be me. <laughs> I said, okay. So I opened up my text, 
Oh, man. I'm talking about Armani suits. I'm talking about these people. And they were all just like wooden Indians, 800 of them. <laughs> there wasn't any worship. And I said, here goes. I'll probably never come back. I never did, as a matter of fact. But, but I'm just going to do it. So I preached. Now, what I had is I had a church full of ravens. Didn't know it. And I sure wasn't judgmental of them, because we've all been there. So I preached the best of my ability, and then I gave the altar call. And Kathy is my witness. I gave the altar. I said, I want us to stand. They all stood. All of a sudden, I'm aware a bunch of the women are crying. I gave the invitation. The three preachers were glued against the back wall, watching me, like I was going to be beamed up. But, I mean, all of a sudden, this altar is packed with weeping, sobbing people. I mean, all that high-dollar makeup running down their face. I'm talking about shaking and sobbing. I had people coming up to me, grabbing me, saying, I've been thinking about suicide, I've been thinking about suicide. That kind of thing. I couldn't... We were in the altar longer than we were in the whole service. We had to finally say, we've got to leave. They followed us to this man's house, still weeping, wanting prayer. And I saw something. I saw something, church, that what we call the church, buildings and religion and religious structures, are loaded with ravens. Loaded. I mean, I've been in, in high-level charismatic churches, given the altar call, people get saved. If I could t tomorrow begin a crusade through denominational churches, I mean Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, the high-collar, the low-collar, all of them, and just preach Jesus in some way or another, thousands would be saved. So, I mean, reading this in Genesis 8, I just thought, you know, there's always a picture that, that ministers to me. And here I see this raven. He sends this raven out. And the raven, he just gets into going and living off of dead things and coming back to the ark. Living off of dead things, coming back to the ark. Living off of dead things, coming back to the ark. And never really comes in. Now, I'm going to tell you something. As people of God, we're either living off of living things or we're living off of dead things. Futile things, vain things. Now the dove is symbolic of an honest soul, which finding no rest for its foot, no solid peace or satisfaction in this world, returns to Christ as to its ark, as to its Noah. Because when Noah let the dove go, the dove went out and came back with no good report. There was no land yet. But then Noah sent him out seven days later a second time. And the Bible says the dove came back with an olive branch in his mouth. Now the carnal heart, like the raven, takes up with the world, feeds on the useless flesh it finds, never really cleaving to the ark of safety. But as Noah put forth his hand and took the dove and pulled her into him, into the ark, so Christ will, guarantee you will, graciously preserve and help and welcome and take in those who fly to him for rest. 
He will. So don't go out there and live on dead things. If there is nothing out there like the olive branch, if you can't find peace, fly back to that ark and lay hold of Jesus. Now what's interesting to me is on New Year's Day, on New Year's Day, let me get this next one up here real quick. On New Year's Day, look at verses uh, 13 and 14. It came to pass in the 601st year, in the first month, the first day of the month, New Year's Day, the first month and the first day of the month, that the waters were dried up from the earth, and Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and indeed the surface of the ground was dry. Now I want you to notice when this happened. When he looked and saw that the earth was dry, it was New Year's Day. But you know what gets me? How many of you think he wanted out of there? Now he's been in it five months. How many of you think he wanted out? How many of you think he got a witness on getting out of that ark and walking on earth? Amen? But you know what? Notice, God didn't let him. In the second month, on the 27th day of the month, the earth was dried. Well, okay, two months later, it's still dry. But notice verse 15, Then God spoke to Noah, saying, Go out of the ark you and your wife, and your son's wives with you. Now notice what I wrote. Though Noah desired to leave the ark two months sooner, and all looked well enough to do it, say it with me, the next four words. God had his timing. Now, in my years as a Christian, I'm going to tell you something. One of the greatest lessons to learn, and the hardest lessons to learn, is everything can look right. The earth can look dry. Circumstances can look good, and yet God will withhold you, restrain you. You know why? Because God has his timing. And you know what I've learned about that timing? It's never my timing. It's never mine. Now, some people always want to get ahead of him, and some people, he's got to pull them along behind. I've always been the type to want to get ahead of God. He's always having to pull the reins on me and say, hold up, Jeff, hold up. I'm experiencing that now in some areas of my life. I want to move ahead, and God's just kind of holding back. You know why? God has his timing. And so here's Noah looking at dry ground for two months, but God didn't let him walk on it until his timing came. So it is with us. Circumstances may look right, and our desire to take an important step may be strong, but God has his reasons, and I wish I'd put his seasons. God has his reasons and his seasons, or his timing. Trust him. Amen? Amen. And so, finally, God let them walk out of that ark. Wow, don't you know that was a walk? Walking out on the dry land. No other humans are anywhere on the whole planet. Golly, I'd want a bunch of books. No humans, give me a bunch of books. Remember that Twilight Zone where that guy had the thick glasses and loved reading, and he went down into that bank vault, and he's down in that bank vault, and a nuclear bomb went off and killed everything, and when he came out, he went, glory to God, there's no humans I can read. And he looked down, and his glasses dropped and broke. That's Twilight Zone. Noah had no glasses. <laughs> but now, can you imagine walking out there and there's no humans? Now, I know what you're thinking, and I'm going to tackle it next week, and I mean 
tackle it. You're thinking this thought. Where in the world did all the people come from if they all came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their wives? Where, where did black skin, brown skin, yellow skin, white skin, and all the skins in between, where did they come from if they all came from Ham, Shem, and Japheth and their wives? <laughs> oh, that was a good tease. I wish I could do that every week. <laughs> Next week. Because there is an answer and it makes total sense. Uh, and we've already, by the way, we have already tackled, you know, where did Cain's wife come from? And all the, we're answering heavy questions here. You ought to be able to go out and witness to the whole world when this class is over. Okay? All right, now, God left four things intact real quickly, and then we're going to close. Here's what he left intact. Verse 22, God promised, while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, and what is that? Sowing and reaping, cold and heat, climate changes, winter and summer, seasons, and day and night are never going to cease. Now, I think that God did that because here you're dealing with people who are now beginning to repopulate the earth, after a total cataclysmic event. So God is giving them stability after everything was crazy. These things are never going to pass away. So you can count on sowing and reaping. You can count on seasonal changes, even in Texas. You can count on the heat will end someday. And I'm having to lay hold of the word of God lately. It's going to end someday. All right, so let's stand together, can we? Everybody say with me, thank God. I'm no raven. But I've laid hold of the ark. Amen. Lord, we just thank you for your blessing on the word of God. We thank you, Lord, for showing us what happened in the ancient world. We thank you, Lord God, that already, even here in Noah's time, you were laying the groundwork for Genesis 3.15 and the Messiah of the world to come to earth. And we just thank you for helping us to put it all together in the bigger picture of Genesis. Help us, Lord, to cleave and cling to the ark, even Jesus, for surely judgment will one day come to this world again. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and we've got food out here and coffee, and thank you for coming, and stay in fellowship with us.